Our Father and our God, we, uh, we are a people gathered because we, we have discovered truth. In a world that offers its opinions and its polls, we have found truth. Truth on which we have begun to build our lives. Truth upon which we can at least have comfort about the future. A truth that guides us in decisions we make day to day. Truth that enables us to withstand the gale force winds of suffering. Truth which has allowed us to make some sense out of our existence. Oh God, we love your truth. And sure as thy truth shall stand, we as your people, embrace, having embraced the Savior, will one day enter your presence, not based on merit that is ours, but based on a merit that is his and his only. Oh God, what a, what a gospel you have given us to preach. A gospel that declares that sinners can come sick and sore, wounded and helpless. A gospel that announces that it is not, it is not based on a, on a performance, but a gospel that is based on the performance of the Son and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come pleading nothing. Nothing except his finished work. It is Christ and Christ crucified who is our, our only boast. And so, Father, as we gather for worship today, remind your people in the preaching, in the singing, in the giving, in the sacraments, remind them that the cornerstone of our faith is Christ, 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 Jesus Christ. He, He alone is our hope. We love you, Lord Jesus. We are sorry we love you so little, but our intention is to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second book in the Bible. Chapter 2. I want to read you the first six verses of Exodus chapter 20. So if you'll follow in your copies as I read six verses from that which is very familiar, which of course is a, the first recording of the Ten Commandments. You find them recorded twice. Uh, in the book of the second time in the book of Deuteronomy, but here's the first time the law of God is outlined. Here we go, verse one. And God spoke all these things, saying, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me." You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, it is my joy to tell you it endures forever. I just want to remind you what we're up to because we're continuing, in fact, this Sunday and one more Sunday, and then Richard is going to finish up on our series concerning what's important around here. Um, you may have known that we put together a couple of three years ago now a list of core values. They're inserted in your bulletin um, once more. That'll be probably the last time you will see them um, because we've inserted them, gosh, six or seven times across the summer. But these are core values, and uh, the core value that I introduced last week was number two, uh, the lofty view of God. And, and I don't know whether you've got that in your laps, but you'll notice that one of the things that we think will grow out of a lofty view of God, if you'll look under that, number three, an increasing involvement in private and corporate worship. One of the things I told you last week is that one of the things that will change if we begin to see God as holy, one of the things will change is our worship, our prayer, our obedience. And so what I, what I want to do for the next couple of weeks, just this morning and next week, is talk to you about the subject of worship. Uh, Jimmy Umloff, by the way, is doing the same thing on uh, Wednesday nights. I invite you to be a part of that because we want our church to enjoy worship. We want them to prosper from worship. We want them to be stimulated and grow in the process of worship. And we're, we're convinced that once God gets to be big in our understanding, that one of the things that will be so richly affected is our worship. I can say to you, ladies and gentlemen, on the authority of the Word of God, in John chapter 4, verse 23, God desires and wants worshipers. He doesn't need worshipers um, because he is eternally self-sufficient, as the name I am communicates. But he desires worshipers, as he says in John 4, 23, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He doesn't need our worship, but he desires our worship. And I think you can also see his desire for our worship in the Ten Commandments. That's why that is our text. You'll notice the first command is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the idea, the process, the activity of worship is to, is to remember very firmly there are to be no other gods. We're to worship this God and this God only. But ladies and gentlemen, I, I would also have you notice the second commandment, which is really kind of the focus of our morning. Do you notice that God not only w wants worship, but the second commandment points out 
that God, while God is desirous of our worship, we cannot, we cannot worship him any way we like. The one who made us to worship him has also decreed how we should worship him. We cannot, ladies and gentlemen, worship him any old way we choose. You know the story of Nadab and Abihu? I love to say those names. Nadab and Abihu. Well, they were, the, they were two sons of Aaron. This is recorded in Numbers chapter 10, if you'd like to look at it. But, uh, Nadab, you know, Aaron was a priest, the high priest, and he had two sons who were also priests, Nadab and Abihu. Well, Nadab and Abihu decided that they were going to offer a sacrifice to God. And the text says that Nadab and Abihu brought strange fires. Strange fires. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. Because God not only de desires our worship, but he also decrees how we should worship him. You know, ladies and gentlemen, in theological circles, when you, when you start talking to folks who consider themselves theologians, which I am not one, they talk about worship being limited and prescribed. Now, that might come as quite a shock to your system, <laughs> because in our day, Worship seems to have just taken on an any old way you like kind of attitude. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that that, is, that transgresses biblical injunction. Because worship indeed is limited and prescribed. You and I are not free to determine we'll just worship any old way we like. We're not free to do that. And what I want to do this morning, and, and, and next week I want to come, and I want to close this morning with some positive uh, outlines, but I want to complete that positive next week. But what I want to do this morning is show you in the scriptures that God, in several instances, of people bringing worship where God says, I don't want that. That's not what I like. And all to enforce this idea that may be new to your ears, that worship is limited and prescribed. Not only does God desire worship, but he mandates how that worship should take place. Let me show you some instances where worship isn't being conducted, and God says, oops, I don't like that. Turn with me first to Genesis 4, which is really the first recorded instance of worship. Genesis chapter 4, it's the story of Cain and Abel. You know what happens, Cain kills Abel. Uh, his brother, you remember that? Well, one of the reasons that he was so angry at his brother, if you'll notice, in Genesis 4, let me read this real quick. And now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. He's in, the, he's in the act of worship. He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock 
and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. <laughs> Two brothers, they both come to worship. Abel brings one thing, Cain brings another. And God says, I like that one, but I don't like that one. I'll accept that one, but I will not accept that one. Now, gang, there's probably a lot of reasons. The text doesn't give us the reasons, but there's probably a lot of them. Um, I, I want to suggest that Cain made some errors in his assumptions about worship. Uh, his assumption about what God was like, perhaps. His assumption that he occupied a, a relationship to God that he really didn't occupy. For instance, ladies and gentlemen, he comes with no blood. Abel did. I, I, think, I think Cain also had an idea that that sin was less serious than it really is. You know, I think that's happening all around us today. The social sciences have taken the terror out of sin. But all I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, is that here are two people who seek to worship and God doesn't accept one of those. There's another instance, um, maybe I should stay in the Old Testament, but let me, let's jump to the New. It's in John 4, uh, this conversation that Jesus enters with the Samaritan woman by the well, remember that? And she's the one that had the seven husbands. And um, after he said, you know, you got seven husbands and you're not even married to the one you're living with now, she says, ooh, I perceive that you are a prophet. Of course she would perceive that. How'd you know that about me? And then she enters into a discussion of worship. She says, you know, our fathers say that you worship on that mountain. And you're, you Jews, you say you worship on that mountain. Now, which is it? Notice what Jesus says to her in verse 22, John 4, 22. For the Father judges no one. Um, let's see. Where, where, she, where he says, you worship in ignorance. Oh, that's, that's the wrong chapter. That's the problem. Uh, verse 22. You worship what you do not know. Here is a woman who is interested in the issue of worship. And Jesus says, first and foremost, lady, you don't have the slightest idea what you're doing. You're interested in the place as to where it should take place, but I'm telling you, you come in ignorance. And that's a worship that is not acceptable before God. Ignorant worship. Let me show you one more, which is really my favorite. It's, there's a couple of things I want to... If you can find Isaiah 1 real fast. Um, Isaiah begins his prophecy with this unbelievable denouncement of... The worship of Israel. Can I read this real fast? I'm in Isaiah 1, verse 12. When you come to appear before me, 
Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Um, incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the, the, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. That's just God talking here, folks. You are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And then what he says in verse 16 and 17, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. You know what he's saying? I, I do not honor a worship that is divorced from living. That is, if your worship is doing all these right things in terms of form, but it has by no means affected the way that you live and the, and the ethic of your behavior, I hate it. You want to see it fleshed out in, a, in an event? It's found in 1 Samuel 15. Remember that story? Samuel comes to the king of, uh, of Israel, Saul, and he says, All right, God's spoken to me. I want you to make war with the Amalekites, and I want you to kill everything that's there. Everything. Man, woman, boy, girl, uh, animal. I want you to kill everything because they, uh, they troubled Israel when she was coming out of Egypt. So Saul takes his army and wins a great victory. Unfortunately, however, he did not obey. He uh, collected, a, he spared the life of Agag the king, and he got all the animals that he, the choice animals that he wants, and Samuel comes over the hill, and he says, Saul, no, no, Samuel, Saul says to Samuel, I have done the will of God. And Samuel says, why then do I hear this bleeding of sheep in my ears? <laughs> if you had done the will of the Lord, I wouldn't be hearing any sheep bleat. You know, you say you obeyed, did you? Why do I hear sheep? And then, ladies and gentlemen, Samuel the prophet says in verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Here's the, here's the statement. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. He does not honor a worship, ladies and gentlemen, that is not somehow fleshed out in the life that I live, the choices that I make, the ethics that I choose, and the behavior that I perform. To obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I hear a lot of people talking about going to church. Well, I'm glad you're in church, you know. That's kind of job security for me. I'm glad you're here. Ladies and gentlemen, if what goes on here does not somehow change the way that you live, I want you to know it's rejected in heaven. Folks, those are just three instances in the scriptures where people engaged in worship, God said, I don't know what you're doing down here, but it doesn't please me. Worship. 
is limited and prescribed. I want to close real quick because we have to go to the table. I want to close real quick with just one hint of what is positive direction about worship. And then we'll get some more next week. The first hint that we get, well, not the first hint, but one of the hints that is made so clearly by Jesus in John 4, right in the area when he's talking about, for such the Father seeks to worship him, and they that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, that's the first indication as to what kind of worship God is really after. You know, gang, people ask, what is the best method of worship? And we've got this discussion going on all across this city. Do you want to do contemporary or do you want to do traditional? What is the best method for worship? I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, bad question. There is no method of worship. There is no method. Any expression of God, of favor towards God done in spirit and in truth is worship. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, our worship must be in spirit. Gang. We're all fallen. The only thing that can enable a fallen man or woman to worship aright is his lovely Holy Spirit. In fact, the only people who can pray acceptably are those... The only acceptable prayer is that which is born of the Spirit. The only acceptable preaching is that which is born of the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do anything acceptably. Folks, the crisis in worship today is not a crisis of form. Which form? Which one do y'all do? The crisis is not one of form or method. The crisis is one of spirituality. You know, I, I read to the staff this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I think. But there's a lot of talk going on these days about the book of Revelation due to a series of books that many of you are unfortunately reading. But um, a lot of discussion going on about the book of Revelation, about the revelation that John got on the Isle of Patmos. But I want you to notice something if you'll check this afternoon. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That is, John says, On the Lord's day, set aside for worship, I was in the Spirit. in the spirit on the Lord's day and what happens this enormous revelation comes to him and we call it the book of revelation but he was in the spirit on the Lord's day are you this is the Lord's day are any of us have we come to this place begging the Holy Spirit to en enable us to worship Him aright? Or did we come with notebook in hand, ready to critique the music and the sermon?
the worshipers that God seeks are worshipers who are in spirit and in truth. Guys, the worshiper must submit himself to truth about several things, but let me mention five. First of all, gang, we've got to make sure that the God that we're worshiping is the right God and that we in no way try to edit him. Edit him. Shape him. Change him. Remake him. We have to bring ourselves into submission to this God. We've got to, in terms of truth, know something about who God is and who is his son and what has his son accomplished. We must know something about myself and my needs. That is, I don't come into God's presence boasting about my performance. I come to lay hold of Christ and him alone. I must know something about sin. You know, guys, in our era, sin has been euphemized. It's been, you know, Carl Menninger wrote that book about 20 years ago. Whatever happened to sin? It was recorded on the Internet and all over the papers these days that one of our political officials who has embarrassed our nation said that he has made a great mistake. Yeah, he did. But it was more than that. It was sin. Jesus is a savior for sin. And then I must know what it is that he requires of me to be a part of his family. Those things have to be kept in mind, ladies and gentlemen, as we seek to worship in spirit and in truth. My friends, I'm telling you, we know how to worship. We worship in the pages of the Wall Street Journal. We worship at the fitness center. We worship at the office. What we must learn is how to worship God. And that is done in spirit and in truth. Oh God, um, if there's anything attractive about us, might it be our worship. Not the form or the style, but that intensity of genuine spirituality. Father, as we view you more and more as the Holy One of Israel, might it change the way that we pray and obey, and might it change the way that we worship. Father, now as we head towards this sacrament, might it, might it stir our souls to a great and lasting enjoyment of the thrice holy God. We commit ourselves to that now, Lord, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.